Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. Our guest for today's episode is my dear friend, Jessica Rasdell. Jessica is an author, a motivational speaker, and a transformational coach to female business owners. She helps women unearth their story and learn how to share it, turning their messes into powerful, life-changing messages. I had the honor of meeting Jessica early this summer, and she quickly became a dear friend. Guys, the truth is that Jessica has a really hard story. She's been through more in her life than I hope any of us ever have to go through, and she's going to share that story with us today. But the amazing thing about her story is that Jessica has partnered with God in such a beautiful way to take this terrible, heartbreaking thing and use it for unbelievable good. Guys, we've all been through hard things in our lives. Every single one of us has been. But the thing about our God is that He brings life from death and beauty from ashes and goodness from even the hardest, most broken stories in our lives. He's done that in Jessica's life and in my life, and I know He can do that in your life too. I cannot wait to talk about this more. But before we dive in, there's something I wanted to make sure to share with you. So speaking of our message becoming our message, friend, if you haven't picked up a free copy of my book, The Lipstick Gospel, yet, I would love to send one your way. It's a travel memoir. It's the story of the messiest, most broken season of my life and how God redeemed every single bit of it. Friends, if you are going through a breakup or if you're about to go on a trip, it's a great book to read before a trip. If you're wondering what God's plan for your life might be, or if you're wanting to grow closer in your relationship with God, or if you're feeling discouraged or wondering if God can redeem or restore or heal or use this mess you're in right now, truly, let me send a copy of this book your way. You can pick up a free copy by clicking the link in my Instagram profile. I'm at Esme Wilson over on Instagram. And actually, let's do this. Guys, I want you to take one quick second, and I want you to pause this episode, and I want you to go download a copy right now. The book is a super quick read. You'll read it in one day, truly. And I just feel like God has some encouragement for you today through it. So go ahead and pause this episode. Go to at Esme Wilson over on Instagram. Click the link in my profile and you can download a copy of the book for free. And then come on back and we'll dive in with Jessica. Friends, I am such a believer in the phrase, be who you needed when you were younger. And the words in that book are exactly what I needed in the midst of the hardest, messiest season of my entire life. My prayer is that they encourage you the way that I know they would have for me. So I cannot wait to share this with you. Okay, when you come on back, let's go ahead and jump into my conversation with Jessica. All right, friends, I'm so excited for what we have for you today. I'm sitting with my sweet friend, Jessica Razdahl, and you guys are going to love her. So just to give you guys some context, you guys may know this, um, but a big part of my job is being a speaker. I travel all over the country and even all over the world, um, speaking to groups of women about things like how to grow closer in our relationships with God, how to find and form lifelong friendships, how to make the most of your single life while also setting yourself up for the marriage you've always wanted. Um, I speak to small business owners about how to turn their hobby or their blog into their job and more. I speak at churches and women's groups and sororities and, and conferences all over the country. And... One of my themes for this year, which I don't know if I've gotten to talk about this on the podcast yet, Jess, but one of my themes for this year has been ask for help. And I feel like I've done that in so many different areas of my life. I've invited people in to say like, listen, 
I want to be better at this or some things like I'm terrible at this, like finances, someone help me. (laughs) Or, you know, I've been doing this for a while, but I want to get better. And that's how you and I got connected because Jessica, you are a speaking coach and you help women turn their messes into their message in, in just the most beautiful ways. You help entrepreneurs and creatives like share their story at, at events, you know, through speaking. And so when I got connected to you, I was thrilled. I feel like you were an enormous answer to prayer for me. And so I'm just so thrilled that you're here. Can you just take a second, (laughs) take a second and um, tell us who you are, tell us who you are, what you do. And then I gave you fair warning. I would love to hear a fun fact about you. (laughs) Well, yes, I'm Jessica Razzle and I am, I'm like all emotional right now from your lovely intro, but I'm just going to blame it on the hormones because I have a newborn. (laughs) So yes, fun, not the fun fact we're going to talk about, but just a a heads up. If there's any screaming going on, um, it's totally just my children. I have, I'm the mama to a four and a half year old little girl and a brand new six week old little boy who I cannot get enough of and he can't get enough of me. So he may yell. (laughs) I have spent the last 12, years really sharing my own story. And I kind of got to a point where I realized, Hey, I'm kind of good at this. I'm kind of good at at taking this stuff that seems really messy and really painful, um, and turning it into something powerful and positive for others, a way that I can take the things that may have, you know, the lessons that we've learned along the way through failures and help other people learn from that. And I just seemed to figure out that I love puzzles and I found that piecing together these stories and putting it all together in a way that protects yourself and serves others is like a puzzle. So I started working with women to help them with their own stories, whether these are business owners and they're trying to build a brand and a personal brand and they don't know, like, how do I share the messy parts with still being relatable? Or how do I share this with still protecting myself and still remaining pretty private? You know, we want to be authentic and genuine, but there's certain things we don't need to share. So I started partnering with women and helping them with their stories. And it has just been the most incredible journey. Oh my gosh. Well, and you are so good at it. Um, I, you know, when we got connected, it was amazing because you and I Skyped and then within like two weeks, I was on a plane down to Florida and we got to spend the whole weekend together, like eating great food and working on all of my talks. And truly, like, I feel like it was a whole weekend of therapy and verbal processing. And I mean, truly like we're talking through every single bit of my story, every piece of it and how to share it. And I mean, it just was so fun. You are amazing at what you do. And really, I feel like that weekend we became best buds. And the moment I think it happened was when I opened the present that you had left on my hotel bed. And it said, did we just become best friends? On a mug? <laughs> and I was like, yes, we actually just became best friends. I love it. Um, also, I feel like we became even closer friends because you were incredibly pregnant when I was down in Florida with you. Oh my gosh. There was a day right before I left that we were like, are we driving you to the hospital? Are you in labor? Like you were counting, you were timing contractions. And I'm like, okay, like we're going from zero to best friends. Like so quickly. I I love it. You didn't go into labor for actually a couple more weeks. He hung out for a while. He's so stubborn. He kept playing those tricks on us. And I I was so excited. I was like, okay, so this is going to be the most exciting like client weekend I've ever had. If we're going to be, you know, like delivering a small human. Yep. Yep. I'm like texting Carl. Like, I'm not sure I'm going to make my flight. I might be at the hospital, (laughs) but I mean, he was worth the wait, like cutest baby ever. You guys are going to have to go follow Jessica on, on uh, Instagram to see photos because I just cannot get enough of this sweet little babe. 
<laughs> um, so Jess, you know, I, I loved getting to spend this weekend with you and I, I loved getting to talk through my story, but really, I think the sweetest part of it for me was getting to hear about yours. And I don't know if we should like kind of give a warning, like the story we're about to talk through is, is tough guys, but it's, there's so much beauty in it and there's so much goodness in it and there's so much redemption in it. And so Jess, I just want to thank you in advance for sharing this with us, but will you tell us some of your story? Yes. And I have to also add that our weekend together, like I have to thank you too, because the weekend wasn't supposed to be about talking through my story and you were just so sweet and pulling that out too and allowing me to like share that with you. I know you just, you're just wonderful. (laughs) Well, and, and you, like you truly do you are such a beautiful example of making, of taking something that is really hard um, and turning it into something, into something beautiful. And I think the thing that I love the most about this is that's what God is famous for. Like that's his thing. That is his like best magic trick. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you can call it that, but just taking messes and turning them into something beautiful, taking our ashes and turning them into something beautiful. He is truly the God that brings life from death um, and hope from despair. And, And I feel like when we partner with him, when we allow him into our lives and when we work together with him, he's able to take these things in our lives that feel really broken and turn them into into something that's an incredible strength and an incredible like gift to us and the people around us. And so anyway, tell us what happened. So I know I said that I've been on this journey of sharing for 12 years and that sounds like a really long time and it does. And sometimes it's hard to believe that it has been that long, but at the same time, the story is so vivid to me. It can feel like it just happened yesterday. So it's so strange to have this mix of how has it been this long? And also like, are you sure it's been this long? (laughs) But when I was a freshman in college, I know you talk a lot about relationships and friendships. I had my best friend and I had known her since I was five years old. Her name's Laura. And it's funny because my mom, that is my mom's my best friend guys. (laughs) I love my mom to pieces. And my mom had a best friend just like Laura. So I always looked at the two of them, my mom and her best friend, Maddie, as the way Laura and I were, they had known each other since they were little girls. They, you know, they went to school together. They became friends through college and then watching them as they started their own families and they, they moved and they, they, were inseparable and nothing, no distance, no time, nothing changed that relationship. So I always envisioned Laura and I, like my mom and her, and, um, we were two different colleges, but we, it didn't change anything. We worked together at the same restaurant. I spent every weekend with her in her dorm room and we were the exact opposite. I was the short brunette. She was the tall blonde and I played sports and she was the cheerleader. And, you know, it was just, we complimented each other and, Unfortunately, though, I kind of threw it all away in one night with one decision. And on February 25th, you know, I never thought it would be the last night sitting in her dorm room sink, putting on makeup and taking silly pictures in the mirror. You know, I never thought it'd be the last time we'd try on 20 different outfits only to end up wearing the first thing we put on (laughs) or, you know, all those little things that you do with your best friend that you take for granted and you don't think too much about because you're just, you know, another Friday night and, We went out that night, ended up drinking, and I drove us home. There was no conversation. There was no discussion. And after a 40-minute drive through traffic, construction across the bridge, five minutes from her dorm room, less than a mile from home, there was an accident. And we don't know what caused the crash, but my car spun off the interstate and into a tree, and it hit my side of the car. 
it rolled on my side of the car and the tree crushed in the roof of my car. But Laura was killed on impact and I was left just inches from my own death. And when I woke up though, I didn't know who was next to me. Like I just, I was in this complete state of shock and obviously I had a serious head injury of my own, but I couldn't understand why all the paramedics were at my side of the car and not hers. And I just kept telling them, like, I don't know who this is, but there's something so familiar about the way she's sitting, the way she was sitting and she wouldn't respond. And I just wanted them to help her. Like I knew I was going to be okay. I was able to talk to them, but why were they helping me? Why weren't they helping her? And fast forward through getting rushed to getting cut out of my car and taken to the trauma center and starting to put all these pieces together. A police officer came in and he mentioned that they had found a purse in the car and I knew it was Laura's and it, it all started to come together. That was Laura. That was Laura that had been in my car. And a few minutes later he came back into the room and my mom had finally arrived. And the only thing I heard him say was because this was a fatality. And it was, you know, in that moment, in the middle of the trauma center, finding out that purse, that person sitting there, the way she had her legs crossed, it was Laura and Laura was the fatality. And I lost it. Like the Jessica that everyone knew died that moment that I heard the news, you know, I was gone with her and there was now just this lifeless body laying there getting over 400 stitches to her head. And I just laid there pretending this was a bad dream I was going to wake up from in the coming weeks, you know, you're recovering physically, which is a mess mentally and emotionally. It's not real yet. It's this cloud, you know, one minute, one minute I'm picking up the phone to try to call her. I'm hearing her voice on her answering machine and I'm losing it. And after that breakdown, again, it's just not real. You know, you can't understand what's happening. And when you're, I was only 18 years old, I was a freshman in college. So at that point, my biggest concern was writing a paper, studying for midterms. I couldn't grasp the fact that not only was my best friend gone, but I was, the blood was on my hands. I was the one responsible for this and finding out now I was going to be charged with DUI manslaughter and face 10 and a half to 15 years in prison. The thought of four years in high school seemed never ending. Like that seemed like the longest time. So 15 years, that was almost as long as I had been alive at that point. I, I just, I couldn't understand. And in the coming weeks, I, you know, I will disclaimer, I, before everything I'm about to tell you, I was under the care of a therapist. I did have a whole team of support. So disclaimer there, but I needed more than that. I just couldn't understand. I had so many questions of why, why did this happen? What happened? Why am I here? And she's not all of these questions that I could not have answers to. And I just felt the doctor kept telling me that, you know, I probably, I shouldn't remember as much as I did especially with a head injury and our body has this way of kind of blocking things out when you go through trauma and that you should, you're only going to remember as much as you can take. And I remembered everything. I remembered her next to me. I remember grabbing her hand and the only thing I couldn't remember is what caused the crash, but why, like, why would I remember so much? And the only thing that I could think was maybe I'm remembering all of this so that I can tell somebody else, you know, maybe I'm remembering this so that I can, you know, be that warning sign for others. So I reached out to the high school I had just graduated from. It was about to be prom time. And I asked if I could come talk. You know, I don't know what I'm going to say, but I know that every year you do an assembly, you give them all the rules, the dress code, how close they can dance, what they can do <laughs> afterwards. And I went to a private school. So, you know, leave room for the Holy Ghost between you guys. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, I just, I just wanted to tell them what I had done. 
and I didn't know how I was going to say it or what I was going to say, but I was so close to the, sh- the shoes that they were in. I'd been there a year earlier. So I knew exactly what they were thinking, what their concerns were, how they thought they were invincible. It would never happen to them. And I, I just had to come be that mirror and show them, yeah, I'm you. I did this and this is what happened. And that year, nothing happened. No mm-hmm. kids got in trouble. We had calls from parents thanking us because their kids went home after prom instead of going out and they'd been arguing over this for weeks. And it just lit this fire in me. Like, maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe this is why I was taken out of the car that night. And I set out on this crazy mission and I started speaking everywhere, anybody, like anywhere they would have me from youth groups to high schools, to sororities, to community groups. And I just needed to share this story, but we have to keep in mind that I was facing 10 and a half to 15 years in prison. And I'm going out publicly saying, this is what I did. It's a little crazy. Um, but I didn't care. You know, I didn't care what anybody said. I just like, this was the thing that was keeping me going. And it made me feel like I was keeping Laura's memory alive. And as horrible and as painful as those presentations were, if just one person didn't repeat my mistake, it was going to be worth it. So that's kind of where everything started. And um, I did that for two and a half years with an open case before I finally just couldn't take it anymore. And I went into court and just threw myself at the judge and asked him to sentence me. You know, I, I, like, I can't wake up every day waiting and wondering for what's going to happen next. I'm done. I need to face some punishment. I want to close this door so that I can begin to heal. Cause I just felt like I was stuck Yeah, telling the same story. You know, I was stuck in the same spot and I need, I needed closure. And I knew that a day in prison wouldn't change anything. It wouldn't bring Laura back. And I knew the only thing it was doing was stopping me from continuing to share my message. But at the same time, I needed that. A part of me needed to feel like I had paid the price, even though that doesn't make any sense. Please don't think for a second that I think that does. But I was offered a deal and I could, in that moment, walk out of the courtroom and be taken straight to a four-year prison sentence where I would spend the next four years of my life where all of my friends were spending their four years in college and starting their careers and building their families. I would be then sentenced to prison. And you know, the reality is we could have gone to court. We could have gone. So on the table I had, we could walk away from nothing. We could win a trial or we could go to trial. We could lose and I could do 15 years. I could take the four years today, but everything that was on the table, that one option of walking away with nothing, that was so heavy. And that was heavier than taking the four years for me, because all I could think was I'm going to live the rest of my life feeling like I didn't pay for this. And I know that sounds crazy because there's not a day that I don't look in the mirror and I don't see the scar, that I don't think about her, that I don't know all the pain that I've caused, but I needed that. Like I needed that closure. So I took it. So you spent, did you have to leave that exact day? Yes. That was, and that was probably one of the hardest parts about the decision, right? Is like not getting to go home and like spend that last day with your family or kind of process it. It was, you have 20 minutes to make a decision. Oh my gosh, Jessica. I had to, I was a liar. I had a panic attack in the courtroom and my mom was like, we need to call an ambulance. Like, no, we don't. I just, it was crazy. I'm hyperventilating my, you know, I'm the weight of the decision. I trying to make a decision that big and to make it that quick is horrifying. But the second I signed my name on that piece of paper, the second I said, yes, it was just like everything just flooded away. Like I could breathe again. And I had no idea what I was about to face. I had no idea what I was walking into. I had never been in trouble before. I was very sheltered. So 
that was scary. But in that moment, I didn't care. I knew that there was nothing ahead of me that could be heavier than that. The weight of not, not being punished for it. Yeah. I I want to back up a little bit because first of all, you know, something that really stood out to me when you were telling me this was the fact that like, I think that I assumed that when you said you had been drinking that night, that you guys had been drinking, that you guys were like blackout drunk. You said that you were like, you had such a good point. You had like two drinks, right? Did I make that up? It was, it was just a few drinks. Um, there's, I mean, we won't go into the whole story of it because it's a lot and I don't want to the whole, our whole interview to be on the like logistics of the night, but you guys can totally, you can read it in my book. You can look it up. It's everywhere. It's kind of everywhere. (laughs) The, that night, I think that's the biggest misconception about these types of accidents is like, I know for me as a college freshman, I envisioned a drunk driver being a middle-aged alcoholic man coming home from the bar who hits a family. Yep. And takes away all these innocent lives. Like you never think it's going to be you and your best friend, the person who's supposed to protect you, who you're supposed to protect. You went out, you didn't even go out with the intention of drinking, but you ended up having a few. I remember being after the accident, um, a part of all the legal stuff. Like I knew that it was going to be coming. So I went ahead and volunteered and did it anyway. Anyways, I was in a DUI, like a driver's school class Mm -hmm. for when you get a DUI. And on day one, he made all of us in the class, tell him our blood alcohol level and the results, like what happened that night where you pulled over? Was there an accident? You know, and I will never forget that I was one, the youngest person in the class Two, I had the lowest blood alcohol level. And obviously I had the worst scenario is the only fatality in there. And everybody else was, you know, much older than me could legally drink. I was drinking underage. Let's say that could legally drink. Their blood alcohol level was way higher than mine. And of course, these are people who got pulled over or hit a stop sign or so that, that part doesn't factor into the result. Like it doesn't matter. Yep. None of us are immune when we make that decision totally. and we put the key in the car, like it could happen to any of us. I'm, I'm not happy that you're able to tell this story, but I'm also grateful that you're able to tell this story. So that first day when you spoke at your high school, like, what were you, how did that go? I think that when we, when we think about sharing a message, especially something that's so tender to us, um, and it's different for all of us, you know, whatever our message is, whatever our story is, it's different for all of us. But when we think about finally being able to share it, I think that we have this idea that we need to be like totally through it, totally healed and totally polished. Like I'm guessing that's not how that day went. (laughs) Oh God. It is such a hot mess. (laughs) So the first presentation I ever gave, and it's funny now looking back on it, you know, as somebody who helps people speak and take the stage, but it's so funny to think at being so young and this being the first time I was doing it, to see where I was coming from and crafting the message. So I wrote my speech out word for word, which I never recommend to anybody. Like, please don't do that. But at this time I knew that one, I had an open legal case Two, There's no way, no way I would be able to speak openly about this. I needed to be able to kind of remove myself from it and make it words on a piece of paper. And two, I, because it was all so fresh, I wanted to make sure that I got everything I needed to say out that I got everything to them. And I came at it from a place of, if I was sitting in that chair, what would I need to hear in order to not do this? Like, what do I need to hear in order to put myself in, you know, my shoes and Laura's shoes? Like, how do I make this real for them? How do I, so to to think back and to think that I put myself in the audience shoes to make it about serving them makes me kind of proud because (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing. 
but I, I wrote it all down. It was all typed. I had my lawyer read it first, obviously. And which then he yelled at me because I didn't give him a warning of how intense it was going to be. And he read it at a Starbucks, which was, he started crying, (laughs) but I read it word for word off a piece of paper. And I tried so I stood at a podium as like the safety net. Right. And I read it off word for word off a piece of paper. And I tried so hard to make it words on paper in my mind to not be me like rehashing it or reliving it. But in the corner of my eyes, I could see the words like, because this was a fatality coming up, like I could just see them coming up and I started crying and I started getting choked up. So I definitely cried through the talk, not all of it because I knew And I kept telling myself this before the presentation, like, if you cry through this talk, they will get nothing from you. They will Mm -hmm. feel bad for you, but you are not going to prevent them from repeating this. Like there's nothing for them to take away at that point. If they can't hear me, they get no message. Right. So like, I just kept keeping myself centered around. It's not about you, Jessica. Like this isn't your story. You're doing this for them. Like you are here to give this message. And that really helped me try to like hold it together, but it wasn't perfect. I definitely stumbled. I cried through it. And you know what? None of that made a difference because I was there for the right reasons. And I delivered the message they needed to hear. And it was very well received. Unfortunately, there's always going to be people who don't like what you have to say. And you could have a room full of, you know, everybody hearing the same thing. And we all take something different from that. So of course there were some people who had some not nice things to say, but that's okay. Because in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't for them. Right. Right. And it was effective for you. You accomplished what you set out to accomplish. So Jess, I know that you have that started and you mentioned this a little bit, but that started like an enormous, really like, I mean, dec- a decade of speaking about this. Um, can you tell us about that a little bit? Like where, where, you know, where did you speak and where was this message shared? And, um, and you actually got to speak with someone pretty uh, surprising after a while, right? <laughs> yes. So prior to going to prison, I spoke to about 15,000 young adults. And at that time I was really, really, really focused on, this is funny because this is going to come up later. I know. So I was really, really focused on young adults, high school, upperclassmen, driver's ed classes, fraternities and sororities, like that age that I felt that I could most, they could most identify with me in this season that they would get this. That was really my target audience. So that was the majority of the presentations, but that wasn't the only place I spoke at. I spoke to a lot of other, um, a lot of other community groups and businesses and things. Um, but during that season, that was the focus and around 15,000 people in two years. But when I came home from prison, I didn't want to talk about it right away. I didn't want to talk about it. I just was like, I didn't know who Jessica was. I felt like I'd been lost through all of this and I needed to figure that out first, but something was missing and I needed to talk about this. But I knew that if I was going to keep sharing my story, it had to be from a different place. I had a new perspective. You know, I was no longer the girl waiting to go to prison. I was the one who had made it out the other side. And how was I going to tell this story? So the part I didn't share with you earlier is that During this time, while I'm giving all these presentations, it became very highly publicized. The fact most people going through situations like this, people who have made a horrible mistake, they don't exactly get excited about opening up and saying, check out this failure of mine. You know, so it was very strange that I was out there speaking about this. 
and it, it drew a lot of media attention and it was featured everywhere, you know, ABC 2020 and Katie Kirk and good morning America today show anything you could think of. So with that, there was a 2020 episode and in that special, I had no idea until I watched it in prison that my state prosecutor was going to be on the show as well. The producers didn't tell me. So as I'm in prison, watching my story unfold on national television, which of course sounds, you know, it's as lovely as it sounds. (laughs) (laughs) It was, that was fantastic. I, I'm just so angry because nobody told me he's going to be on the show. So you have this guy who's just like laying into me talking about his job and how his job was to put me away and, you know, the prosecutor. And then at the very end of the show, Elizabeth Vargas, the interviewer, asked him, you know, do you think Laura would want Jessica to go to prison? He's like, I can't answer that. Nobody can, but I know what what I would want. And he kind of fell into the answer. She's like, oh yeah, what would you want? And you could see him like trying to put the words back in his mouth, but too late. He already said that. And he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm just picturing my best friend and I know I wouldn't want him to go to prison for a mistake he made. And instantly, like my jaw hit the floor you know, now he's no longer, am I just seeing him as this enemy you know, the prosecutor, the guy who's supposed to, who put me away, but I'm now realizing, oh my goodness, there's a person behind that hmm. prosecutor. Like this is somebody who has had to navigate this case for two years and it was probably really hard on him. And I felt horrible now, like here's another person that I totally screwed up their life and I never even thought about that. So when I came home from prison, I was working at a restaurant and in one Friday night walks him, Mr. Roham Kansari and his wife. And I passed out, just straight up passed out. Yeah. Yeah. We lock eyes while he's getting out of the valet and like you could tell he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how I'm going to respond. He hasn't seen me since court. He has no idea what's going through my head. And I'm like circling the restaurant. I'd only been working there for a few weeks and I'm feeling like this job is a big shot. You know, I'm a felon. I'm right straight out of prison. And I'm like, I'm going to screw this up. So I'm like pacing through the restaurant, figuring out what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I was like, you know what? I can't let him leave this restaurant without apologizing. And I walk over to the table and it's him and his wife and another couple. And, you know, I'm like, hi. And it's just the normal casual back and forth. You know, how are you stuff? And the end of the conversation, he's like, let me go get my business card from the car. You know, if you ever need anything, like don't hesitate and trying not to make this too awkward because there's another couple there. And this, I don't know who these people are. (laughs) And I'm at my new job and he comes back and he stands up and he gives me the card and he goes to shake my hand. And I gave him a hug and I told him, I was like, look, I just want you to know that I understand you were just doing your job and I'm sorry. And it like, shook him to the core because I'm sure as a prosecutor, you put a lot of people in prison and you never assume that one of them is going to come basically say, I get it. It was okay. But it took me seeing that fumble in an interview for me to realize that he was human and he was doing his job and that me going to prison had nothing to do with him. That was my choice. That was my failure. That was my mistake. So a few months later, you know, he would come in and his wife would come into the restaurant all the time. You know, we'd casually see each other there. And he asked me one day, he knew I was still speaking and I was still sharing my message. You know, is there something I can do to help? Can I get involved? So I was like, yeah, you know, I've got a couple presentations lined up in the next few months. I'm going to be speaking at a school in Texas. I'm going to be speaking for the U.S. Navy. Do you want to come with me? 
And he said, yes. So we started speaking together. So occasionally, you know, sometimes we will share the stage together and share the message from both perspectives, the good and the bad. And, you know, all of that, it's, it's pretty crazy. Probably the last person you'd expect to see me speak with, but it's incredibly powerful. Oh my gosh. I love that. Hey guys, I hope you're loving this conversation with Jessica as much as I am. Isn't she great? I wanted to pop in for one quick second to thank our sponsor for this week. I love our Girls' Night sponsors because they allow us to keep doing what we love. This show would not be possible without them, and I am so grateful to them for their support. I also love our sponsors because they are such cool companies, and I love getting to share them with you. So, our sponsor for today's episode is an amazing company called Zola. Now, you guys have heard me talk about Zola before, but they are a wedding company who's reinventing the wedding planning and registry experience. Now, I know that some of y'all are engaged right now, or you're dating someone and engagement is just around the corner. I also know that lots of y'all are bridesmaids and maids of honor these days, helping your girlfriends and your sisters plan the best wedding possible. And so I just love getting to share Zola with you. I love what they're doing because for me, while getting engaged and planning our wedding was wonderful and fun and so special, it was also totally overwhelming and really, really stressful. Zola totally gets this, and so they've made it their mission to make the whole thing a whole lot easier. They offer free wedding websites, save the dates and invitations, wedding registry, and free, easy-to-use wedding planning tools. You can conveniently manage everything online and all in one place, which saves you so much time as you plan this big day. They really have thought of everything. You can create a free wedding website through Zola in just minutes. There are over 100 beautiful designs to choose from, and every single one of them is free. You can simplify your wedding planning process even more by doing your registry through Zola. They have the widest selection of gifts with all different price points and 500 top brands, including KitchenAid, Cuisinart, Airbnb, and Sonos. And if you do register through Zola, your Zola registry will automatically integrate with your Zola wedding website, which means that your guests can get all of the information they need and buy you a gift all in one convenient and beautiful place. Isn't that amazing? Guys, this is such a great resource if you're planning a wedding. My gosh, I wished for every single one of these things as we were planning our wedding. The more I find out about Zola, the more I wish it had been an option when we got married. But it is for you and for your engaged girlfriends, so be sure to pass it along. To start your free wedding website or your registry on Zola, all you have to do is go to zola.com Stephanie. That's Z-O-L-A, just in case you needed that spelled out. And again, to start your free wedding website or registry on Zola, go to zola.com Stephanie. Zola, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you. Okay, now without any further ado, let's jump back into my conversation with Jessica. So Jess, I want to sort of set this aside, not, not that that's <laughs> easy, but I want to like really pick your brain as, as someone who trains people and teaches people and helps people take things that have happened in their life and turn it into something that can really help others. But before I do, I wanted to just ask you one more question on this. What have you seen come from, from this? As you're sharing your story, um, I know that there have been some amazing, like, really results from it. Um, amazing, beautiful things have come from it, both externally, so in other people's lives, but also in your life. What did sharing this like do for others? What have you seen? What have you seen happen through your, your story? And then also what has it done in you? Oh, I can't even, I can't even begin to tell you all the things that have happened from this. And again, of course, none of this was planned or expected. I didn't go into sharing my story with any expectation. I was just like, this is what I'm supposed to do. So it's been an incredible journey to, because what happens is when you share your story, 
you open the door for others to share with you. So it's pretty incredible to kind of give people permission to be able to take ownership of their story, no matter how ugly or messy and painful they are and be comfortable sharing that. So of course I've had the honor and burden of having everybody share their stories with me, which can be a huge weight to carry. But at the same time, like to be able to take that weight from others is such a blessing. That's incredible to watch people be completely transformed as far as their own decision-making and open their eyes and realize, you know, that, that video from 1998, they've been playing in my driver's ed class, (laughs) the VHS, like it's not cutting it, but seeing you, with your friend and these pictures and identifying the way that I hang out with my girlfriends on a Friday night, that's real. And seeing them not make those choices or watching all of these things come around has been incredible. Watching other women now, business owners, take their stories and share them bravely. I can't get enough of that. But I, in the very beginning, I remember being in a bookstore and I was looking for some sort of roadmap, something to tell me what to do next. Like, how do you make it through this? And I couldn't find anything. I had a breakdown in the store. I just felt like if there was no next step for me, maybe this is where my road ended. And I was, I was a mess. And I know we'll chat about this later, but I feel like a lot of times we all have our own ways that we feel like that we talk to God or that we hear from him. And for me, I feel like it has always been through others. Like he just drops these hints through other people to me. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's my mom. My mom is like this common thread and it's just a little thing she'll say. And I'm like, that's not you saying that. (laughs) I hear you God. Thanks. I, I, okay. Okay. I got you. And I'm in the bookstore and I'm losing my mind and I'm telling her, you know, there's nothing here. There's nothing here for me. There's nothing here to tell me what to do next. And she's so calm and she just kind of points at the shelf and she's like, okay, well maybe you're supposed to put something there. Mm. And it's like, I just drew this line in the sand and realized like I had to make this, make it through this, not for me, but to be able to tell somebody else it was possible. And last year I did that. Like last year I wrote the book and like reverse engineered for myself. Like what were the key things? Like that when we're going through adversity, when we're faced with something painful, when we feel like there's no roadmap, what do we do? And to be able to see this tool in other people's hands and to, to hear their stories of how they're, you know, going through things or people who are the loved ones of others going through things of, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. And to provide that resource has been incredible. But I know my biggest thing is in the very beginning is like, you have to draw that line in the sand. You have to say that, you know what, I'm going to make it through this thing, whatever this thing is, or I'm going to overcome this thing, whatever your story tends to be, happens to be, because until you decide that you're going to, to take that step forward, like nobody can do it for you. No one's going to take that step and you have to be intentional about it. And you, because it's not an easy journey. There's going to be people who don't like it. There's going to be times where you want to burn it down and run away from it. But if you, if you draw that line and you understand why you're doing it and who you're doing it for and that difference it's going to make, it's a lot harder to walk away because you don't want to disappoint them. I think that that's so powerful that like, and I've heard you say this in a whole bunch of different ways that, you know, sometimes we can't get through something for us, you know, like, especially when, when you've made a mistake, you like, you're so down on yourself. You're so, it's so hard to feel like you deserve anything. And so to survive something and then, and to thrive after it, it's like, you feel like you don't deserve it. And I think so many of us have felt that in so many different ways and degrees and in such situ- different situations. But when you look at 
getting through it for someone else. Like when you can put the focus on someone else, we're willing to do often, and this isn't good necessarily, but we're willing to do so much more for other people than we are for ourselves. And so I think that for a season, if, if that's the thing that propels you forward, that helps you get through something, I think that's really beautiful. I, I know it's that it's so powerful because guilt is a beast. Guilt is, is a crippling beast. And I know I have really bad survivor's guilt. So that's, I take it to like a whole new level, but all of us guilt is that quiet little monster that will just, just, just destroy everything. If you don't pay attention to it. So you have to figure out for you, what's, what is the thing that motivates me when things get really hard? And for me, because the guilt is so heavy, it cannot be something that benefits me. You know, I am not motivated by, success or by like by winning or whatever that thing might be like, that doesn't make me excited because on a hard day, I would easily say, well, you don't deserve that. Mm. Nope. And walk away. But if it could, what I I always have to look at it twofold. One is what is the benefit? Somebody, this other person who, whatever it is, we're doing this for, what is the benefit they're getting from it? And also what if I don't like, what's the negative side of that? Because sometimes that is a little more motivating than the positive. Yeah. So sometimes I need to think like, okay, so what if I don't show up for this presentation? What's going to happen? What decisions yeah. could be made? Like, what if I don't get out there and continue to share this? What if I don't do this thing? And we have to factor in the good and the bad. Yeah. There, you and I talked about this when we were in Florida together, but there's this theory in psychology called logotherapy. And it was I guess, developed by this um, neurologist and psychiatrist named Viktor Frankl. And it's this idea that the striving to find meaning in one's life is the primary, most powerful, motivating, driving force in humans. Um, I, I love that. I just had to read that because it's so good. And, he, you know, he has this book that you and I talked about. It's called The Man's Search for Meaning. And in it, he talks about how this quest... Do you have it? I, I <laughs> bought it. on. I ordered it that night. <laughs> it's, so, it's so good. But he talks about how his quest for meaning helped him survive his holiday. Holocaust experience. And I think that that's exactly that. It's like, what's the purpose behind this? And that's not always, that's not always necessarily the thing that's going to get us through it in the thick of it, but sometimes it is like you and I've talked about this a little bit and I haven't gotten to share this quite to the depth that I I think I will at some point on the podcast, but, um, I've been really thick in a season of anxiety and depression these last, who even knows how long. And one of the things that has, that really, I think helped just propel me forward and help me continue to show up and be brave and pay attention and really try to like be wide-eyed and awake and and really like learning lessons throughout this whole season is the idea and, and the truth that I know that there are other people that are going through this too and they they need to know that they're not going to be in this forever. They need, you know, anything, you know, encouragement to know that they're not alone, to know that it's not, yeah, that it's not going to feel this way forever. And so I think that that idea, the logotherapy, finding the purpose and the meaning in it has been really helpful for me getting through a really tough season. I think it is for a lot of us. When you told me, when you introduced me to him and that theory in the book on our weekend together, I was floored. I'm like, how have I gone through this many years of doing this stuff? And nobody's told me about this guy. (laughs) How I have horrible friends. (laughs) What are they doing? Oh my gosh. I thought it was, I'm like, it sounds like something I would have said, like this guy and I would have been besties had I, you know, was a lot older. (laughs) But that is exactly it. Like we need to feel like the struggle that we're going through. It's not for nothing. You know, there's a reason for this and that we're not alone in it. And I remember 
when I was in the hospital and, you know, again, it's not all real yet. My first visitor besides my parents was our, was our priest at the time I went to, uh, Catholic school and we were very tied in with that church. And he was the first person, my dad, when, as soon as he got the news, he went to their home, to the priest's house. And he didn't even know what to do when we got the news, you know? So before he even came to see me at the hospital, that's where he went. And he brought him to the hospital to see me. And I remember him saying, I was so angry, but you, you know, grief is a strange beast and you go through all these different fun emotions and not in a necessary, not a particular order. And they can be really ugly and anger can be one of them, blame all of that fun stuff. But at the time, you know, he said, and a lot of people kept saying that, you know, everything happens for a reason or God has a plan in this. And I was so angry. Because for me, I, I was only hearing what I wanted to hear from that. Of course, just like I said, you give a presentation and everybody will take what they want or what they hear. And at that time, I couldn't see the bigger picture. And I was just angry. Like, why her? Like, she had so much more to do here. My plan for her was so much bigger than this than his plan. And at the time I was furious and I I needed something bigger to keep me going because that part, the fact that I was here and she wasn't was something that I just could not get beyond until I started to realize, okay, it's not about me, Jess, like you're doing this for other people. You're not doing this for you. And that was the thing that carried me. Mm. Mm, That's so good. (laughs) Well, okay. So Jess, like when, as girls are listening to this, they uh, how do, how do we know what our message is? Like, you know, when we think about the messes of our lives, I think generally, especially if they're really messy, we think, no, 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 that's just a disaster. That's not a lesson. That's not my ministry. That's just a big, huge mess that I don't want to tell anybody about. Like, how do we identify the thing that we can help other people through? So that's such a good question. And I think it's really important. Like you had mentioned this earlier about like being in seasons and having, um, you know, doing to get through that season, you know, doing it for somebody else. And you have to understand that your life is very seasonal and your story that you're sharing changes with the seasons. Like I am actually at a point right now where I'm beginning to close the door on the high school presentations, um, because I am in a different season of life and I know it is doing more harm to me than it is good for them. And I, and it was a very difficult call. We could chat more about that later, but it's a whole nother, whole nother beast. (laughs) We have to understand that in different season of life and these different seasons of our life, there are different stories that we are called to share, that there are different messages that we need to give. And for me, the biggest way that I've consistently been able to pull the most powerful message is just going back to when you're in the thick of it. What did you need to hear? What was that ray of hope that you needed? Who were the people that helped you, who helped pull you through? And what was that difference they made for you? There were, I didn't go through this on my own. There were plenty of people that were that light at the end of the tunnel for me. And I knew that they let me know there was hope that it was possible to make it out the other side. And I wanted to be that for somebody else. So when you were in the thick of it, when you look back to that horribly messy, scary, embarrassing, painful, whatever it is moment, what were the things you wanted somebody to say to you? Or what were the things that people did say to you that were very powerful? What were the things that seemed to make the biggest difference? And I have to tell you that you're only going to remember so much. So don't be afraid to call and help and ask the other people who were in your life at that time, whether that's 
best friends or relatives, you know, who saw you in the thick of it and ask for their perspective too, because we have blinders and we put this tunnel vision on and we only see how horrible it was. And sometimes we need someone else to shine a little light and say, but you don't remember that time you did this or, you know, they see that strength that you don't always see. So make sure that when you're looking back on those difficult times and you're trying to pull out the things you needed to hear, that you're also getting opinions from some other people who saw it. I, I lo- okay. I love that. That's so, that's so good. <laughs> how do you figure out though? Like, you know, if we have these different seasons and these different stories, like how do we figure out which ones we're supposed to share and which ones are you know worth sharing or which ones people need to hear? So for me, I don't think it's the story so much. And this is probably an unpopular opinion, but I have found it to be the most powerful thing for me when, especially with writing presentations for, for entrepreneurs, for example, they're writing a presentation that is a little more technical, a little more business, and they're maybe not their whole focus isn't the story, but you need to weave in this personal story to make the connection. So I never start with the story and that might sound crazy, but for me, I think it's more important to start with the message you want to deliver. So for example, I'm having a conversation with you and we're chatting about something and I like, I know what you need to hear, you know, as, as somebody's like girlfriend, their best friend, like, you know what they need to hear. The thing that they don't want to hear, (laughs) it's usually that thing that they don't want to hear. And so when somebody's coming to you and somebody's sharing something painful with you, they're asking for advice, like, you know what you need to say to them, but just saying that statement of don't do this, for example, or I've been there isn't enough. That doesn't get somebody to buy into it, to feel like you're really on their side. So you have to have a story to back that up, right? So if I want to tell you, if I want to go to a group of kids and say, don't drink and drive, they're going to be like, okay, great old lady with purple hair. I'm not listening to you. (laughs) So I have to go back and say, what story, what personal story of mine can I share that illustrates this message that is going to get them to trust me? that is going to get them to see like, I'm on your side. I've been there. I've done that because I think if we start with the story, the message can get lost. So it's more important to figure out what do I need to say to somebody? If I had a billboard in Times Square and I can only say one thing to the world, what do I want them to know? And for me, it's, I want you to know that when you go through the most difficult, the most ugly, the messiest, most painful things, Sometimes you're going through that just to be able to give someone else hope, to tell them that it's possible, to make it through, to to deliver that message to others. And that's why I have to tell you my ugly, messy, painful story so that you can understand that mess has saved more lives than we can ever measure. (laughs) So that you can have some hope and say, okay, maybe this season of anxiety and depression that I don't see the end at yet. I don't know what the other side looks like. Sharing with people that I'm going through it and I'm I'm getting through it. These are the things that are helping me. This is what's working for me. It's not always rainbows and sunshine, but I'm still here. And you're not alone in this gives other people hope to keep showing up, to keep doing that thing. And when we start with that message of you're not alone, I'm with you too. I'm in the trenches. The story becomes less painful for us to share and more powerful for our listener. I love that. And I think that it's like, what I hear you saying is that when we look back in our lives and look at the hardest things we've been through, the trickiest things, the moments when we felt like we needed to just sit down because we couldn't keep going. That I've, you know, I've always believed that that we have a unique ability to speak into moments like that. Like we, we understand those scenarios, those seasons, those situations better than anybody else because we've been there. And so once we've been someplace, 
we have, we have the authority, we have the gift of getting to help other people who are there too. And so I love what you're saying about, you know, looking back into, into your life and and what have you been through? And then what did you need to hear in that moment? And recognizing the fact that there are other people who are in that too, who need to hear exactly what you needed to hear. And maybe definitely you are the person that gets to, to bring that message to them, whether on a small scale or whether it's writing a book that you put in the bookstore to help someone through something that no one else has really walked them through before. Exactly. Because you just got to think back to that moment of how bad did you need to hear X, Y, Z, you know, what difference would that have made for you? And to be able to do that for somebody else, that's a powerful thing. I love that. And I think, you know, I really do think that when we, when you look at women who are doing amazing things like you, Jess, it's, the the thing that propelled them into into their mission into their purpose is usually a really hard story in their life it's something that they went through and and i think that you know when it's us that's going through something we think that that's like our biggest liability and maybe it is but also usually our biggest liability is also our greatest asset and our and our greatest opportunity to make an enormous difference in someone's life absolutely it's so easy to just let shame take over i'm like i don't want anybody to know about this i don't want to talk about this like i want to hide this from the world yes. and but then it's like well then why did you you know was this all in vain nothing, nothing good is going to, that was the biggest thing for me in the beginning. I used to say that all the time was like, I refuse to let Laura's life be lost in vain and for her to become another underage drinking statistic. That was my biggest fear. And that carried me through. And in the moment, it sounds like so harsh and so raw, but like, why, why would I go through all this? Like, why do we go through these difficult moments? And I think it's easy to say all of that when the story is as horrific as this, but Another part is like we tend to minimize our own stories and act like what I'm going through isn't that bad compared to whoever. Or, you know, maybe this breakup is not taking somebody's life. But when you're in the thick of it, it feels like the worst thing that could ever happen to you. I mean, getting some lemon juice on a paper cut is not fun and it feels horrible in the moment. But we can't compare our stories either. I think it's really important to know, like, if you're listening to this and you're feeling like, okay, but my story isn't going to make a difference for anybody. I'm willing to bet that when you were in the thick of it, or if you're in the thick of it right now, that there's something you need to hear. There's something that you needed to hear and you can still be that hope for somebody else who feels like what they're going through is the worst thing they've ever experienced. Yeah. And I think, I think that we have this idea that we need to be able to get someone all the way through something. Mm. Like we need to be able to pick them up and take them from A to Z all the way through the process. But I don't think that's true. I think a lot of times we need to help them get from like A to C, you know, maybe it's sort of like a relay race and there's someone along each leg of the journey and they're the one, you know, at L who, you know, encourages you or gives you a little piece of truth or some scripture or sits with you and wipes your tears enough to get you to M. Um, and I think that those are our, that's who we can be. We don't have to be the person who has all of the answers. We're not, um, I know a lot of our listeners, actually, we do have a lot of, um, like mental health professionals in our, in our community, but like, we're not all, we're, we all have different gifts. And, and we all have different ways of coming alongside people, whether it's over coffee or whether it's from a stage or whether it's in the therapy room or whether it's in a book. But I think our job is, is to just get someone to the, maybe the next step or just walk with them as they walk to the next step. We don't have to be, we don't have to have it all figured out or have it all together. I love that. 
I love that. Like we don't, I feel like that is so true. I feel like we have to have all the answers. And it took me 11 years to write that book, probably because of that mentality right there thinking like, well, I don't have all the answers or I'm not all the way through like the last chapter is about being in the trenches still, you know, that I'm still dealing with this, but we do like our job should be to shake something up in people to be that aha moment for them. Like how often have you had which like I said, like my mom, right. To say that one little thing to you that just changes your course or makes you take a first step. I just need someone to like shove me a little bit sometimes to get started. Yes, man. I love that. So Jess, I want to ask you just two more quick questions. You know, I know that you have this because of what you've been through, you have this unique ability to speak to people when they are in like horrifically dark seasons of life. Um, And so if there's someone listening who is in just the thick of it, just in the darkest season of their life, do you have just a piece of encouragement for them? I think the biggest thing for me has been um, like feeling like when you're in the thick of it, that's all we see. Like we don't necessarily see a light at the end of the tunnel yet. And sometimes we can't even imagine that there is a tunnel. Like this is a wall. This is a dead end. And to just know right now, you might not be able to see that and it's okay, but you just have to walk in the dark with some faith and to know that as you keep taking those steps, that the ground will be there and you're not going to fall. You might stumble a little bit, but we feel like when we can't see the end, sometimes we don't want to take those steps forward and it's really hard. And I want to just encourage you to keep doing the work, to keep showing up and to know that the rest will fall into place. I know that for me, I had no idea what was going to happen and waking up every day wondering, am I going to spend the next 10 and a half to 15 years in prison? Am I going to make it out of prison? Like I would think the worst of the worst and just the unknown and probably shouldn't have watched TV back then because (laughs) of all the things that would be on there. But just realizing that I was given a second chance. I was pulled from that car and it was not for me. I don't know what the end goal would be. I didn't know what the end result would be. I didn't know what the plan was, but I just had to keep showing up and have faith that whatever this big plan was, that I would do it some sort of justice. Hmm. Oh gosh, I love that. So then my last question for you is, for a woman who's looking at her mess, whatever it is, and wondering if if it can help anybody else, if it can be a message, what encouragement do you have for her? Yes. So that is a big piece for me is I feel like when we are the whole, the book is called shattered and there's a big reason for this and there's a bunch to it, but I feel like when we, we all go through things, we all go through horribly painful things, whether it was a mistake that we made, somebody did us wrong. We just got dealt a really bad hand. You know, we were in a bad situation. We, everything is broken. And the life that we knew before is shattered into a million pieces on the floor. And we want so bad to pick up those pieces and force them back together and try to make things whole. So I want to encourage you that if you're in that place where you're trying to force it back together, let me just give you a little grace. It's never going to be the way it was before. And that's okay because now we have a new decision. We can just leave the pieces on the floor and walk away. I don't want you to do that. What I would love for you to do though, is bend down and pick them up and you can make something completely new and beautiful from those pieces because 
it's never going to be the way it was before. You have been changed. Everything has been altered, but it doesn't mean that they can't be beautiful. My mom, she actually makes fused glass. And I, this is where it came from for me is the glass comes in these giant, beautiful sheets of glass. They're colored. They're either see like kind of translucent or they're opaque and they're gorgeous. But in order to make something new from that, in order to create a piece of fused glass, you have to break and shatter these giant whole perfect pieces. And then we pick up these tiny little shards of colorful glass and we put them all together and we make something incredible and we fuse it into something new. You can never put those pieces back together. You can never recreate that giant sheet, but there are these beautiful pieces of work that are now putting smiles on people's faces. They're, they're brightening up their homes. And that's what your story gets to do. Like when you're going through the thick of it and you feel like it is way too broken, there's no fixing it. There's nothing I can do from here. I want you to think about about that beautiful, colorful piece of fused glass artwork that has all these different pieces from all these different stories and all these different sheets of glass. And they come together to make this beautiful piece that That can put a smile on not just your own face, but on other people's. I love that. Guys, I'm so glad to have you hear from Jess just because really like the things that we've been through in, in life, we have the ability to take those things. I I love what you're saying that, you know, we can't undo it, but we can take what we've been given and, and turn it into something beautiful. And I think like the word that just keeps coming to my mind is redemption. And I think that that's really what God's redemption has looked like in my life and what I've seen it look like in so many different people's lives that like, he doesn't erase it. He doesn't vacuum away the hurt. He doesn't, you know, rewind time, although it would be wonderful if he would do that sometimes. But I think I know in my life, he's taken the things that have been broken and he's turned them into something better because he's allowed the things that I've been through to be the way that I get to help somebody else. And there's truly like, there's nothing that's where so much of our purpose and where so much the meaning in our life gets to come from is when we allow God to take these things in our lives and we partner with him to take these things that have been broken and to put them back together in a new way by turning around and helping the girl who's just a few steps behind us. So Jess, I want to just thank you so much for being here. I loved getting to chat with you. And guys, I'm going to have all of Jess's info in our show notes so you can go follow along with her and be inspired by her because I just adore her and I know you will too. Thank you so much for having me. Friends, isn't Jessica amazing? I love her and I love this conversation and I am so glad y'all got to meet her. Don't forget that if you want to find all of Jessica's information or the links to anything we talked about in today's episode, all you have to do is go to our show notes, which you can find at stephaniemaywilson.com slash blog. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I cannot tell you how much it means to me to have you here at Girls' Night. Now, before you go, I would love it if you would do two quick things. The first is to subscribe. Now, we talk about this every week, but truly, subscribing to the podcast is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It's a way easier way to listen too, because it's a way of bookmarking the podcast. You never have to go looking for it again. Your app will just automatically download the next episode when a new one's released. The other thing is that it would mean so much to me if you would take one quick second to leave a rating and a review for the podcast. Truly, you guys, we talk about this every week because it's super important. The way that iTunes knows to suggest the podcast to new people is by the ratings and the reviews. That's how we invite new friends to our girls' night. So would you take one quick second and do me a huge favor and leave us a rating and a comment about how you like the podcast so far? It would help us out so much. I want to read one that I love from this last week. It's from Jasmine Grasper. She says, The guest Stephanie has and the topics discussed have me laughing out loud, nodding along, verbally saying yes to the truth spoken, and resting in some amazing aha moments. 
Not only do I love listening, but the podcast has a way of encouraging more meaningful conversations in my own friendships and girls' nights. Guys, I love that. Thank you so much for your sweet words, Jasmine, and a huge thank you to all of you who have taken the time to leave a review. It really means so much to me. All right, friends, thank you so much for joining us for Girls' Night, and I will see you next week.